Welcome to the Pearl Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message blesses you in a way that is inspiring, encouraging, and transformational. For more information about our church, please go to thepearlchurch.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, Pearl Church. It is so good to be together this morning. Like Pastor Doug said, him and Pastor Donna and Pastor Elliot are in Reno this morning with dear friends of our house at Convo Church. And Convo Church is just killing it. So thank you for all you do to support the church plants that we partner with around this region. Um, and I am super excited to share this morning for um, the Abide series. We know Pastor Doug kicked off the series last week in um, Abiding in Jesus. So let's do this. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much that as we dig into what it means to abide in you, we already know that you're standing there with arms wide open just waiting for us, God. So Lord, I even thank you that you've, you're already in this place this morning, that we felt your presence already this morning in worship and prayer, that, that we know that you are a God, that when we show up in your house, you are so overjoyed that your children are together lifting up your name. So Jesus, this morning, that's all we wanna do. We just wanna lift up your name. So God, I just pray that um, you just speak through me this morning. Anything that's not of you, I just pray falls on deaf ears. Um, but Lord, we just love you. Soften our hearts to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so like I said, we started a new series last week called Abide, and we're digging into the book of 1 John. And like Pastor Doug taught us last week, um, in 1 John, we have the Apostle John writing this letter um, to, some, to some people that he's seeing get a little off track or a little off course. He wrote it later in his life, years after he wrote the Gospel of John, and, and he wrote it because he saw some truths about Jesus uh, maybe getting a little mixed up. Um, and I love how Pastor Doug really really defined what it is to not just be around Jesus, but to get in Jesus, right? Not to just know about him, but to know him personally. So we're going to keep going through the book of 1 John for this series, so let's get right into it. Um, in 1 John 2, we're going to start in, chapter, in verse 15. The word of God says this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, Lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. So, so here's the issue. John is seeing a, a group of people, like I said, that are kind of getting off course of, of what is true. Um, and the thing about getting off course even just a little bit is like a little step now off course. It's way off course later. And I think John sees a people as he's writing this letter to the church of Ephesus, he's seeing a people whose destiny could get really derailed, could get really off course. So he's saying, don't, don't love these things. They're not of the Lord, right? Love the Lord. This is what God's love is. He's writing a letter to say, this is what God's love is. And I think that John knew um, that some of these things he's warning the church of Ephesus against had the opportunity to really derail their destiny. You know, and I think he saw that there was one thing that he wanted to warn them against that may seem like a small thing, but if, if we don't learn to control it, it'll start to control us. It's a, it may seem like a small thing, but if we don't let Jesus drive this thing, we'll find that that thing is driving us. And that, that's appetite. That's appetite. So this morning, I want to encourage us that we have a destiny and we have a purpose, right? That God gave each person 
in this room, a destiny and a purpose. But if we develop an appetite for the wrong thing, that wrong thing can really damage our hearts. That wrong thing can really delay our destiny. So we've got, we've got to let the Lord establish our appetites. So, so here's, here's, the, here's the truth about appetites. Some of us in this room, we're in a situation that we can't dig ourselves out of because we have an appetite for the wrong thing. And some of us in this room, our truest and our deepest wounds come because somebody else had an appetite for the wrong thing. Somebody maybe had an appetite for a substance, maybe a parent, and they chose that, or, or they were a victim to that ap- appetite, and they couldn't control it instead of being there for you. Or maybe a parent who chose an appetite for someone else other than their spouse, and it left your family broken. Or even an appetite for a good thing, right? Like success and, and, and being successful and doing good in the world, but they, they had a distorted, proportionate view of that appetite, and it left you alone, it left you hurt. And, and that's the thing that appetites can do for us. And, and the thing about appetites is they were created by God. We know that. He created our appetites, but they have been distorted by sin. So um, this morning, I just want to talk about what it means to abide in Christ and, and dwell in his presence. Because this is what the Bible says about it. When we get in God's presence, we can taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And I don't know about you, but I like to taste what is good. It's funny, have you ever been around a group of people? I thought this was just kids, but I was proved wrong this week. Have you ever been around a group of people and you know everyone's eating and then someone tastes something and they're like, oh my gosh, this is so bad. And then what's the next thing they say? They're like, you gotta try it. What? I don't want to try it. If it's bad, I want to taste what's good. And that happened with our team this week. We're all out to lunch, and Aaron, our creative director, had this drink, and he's like, it's so gross. You all would hate it. And then what did he do? He went and got cups for all of us to take a little sip and try it, and we did, which is silly. But, but, <laughs> but then if you've, if you've met my husband, you know that he is like a very, very, very enthusiastic sharer. So who's, who's in keto or keto-inspired in this room because of Elliot right now? Anybody? He's like the keto evangelist. He's experienced, he's experiencing, try living with him, right? But he's, he's experienced a, a transformation that's made him feel so good. So he like wants to share it with everyone. Um, and, but he is like that with everything. Like he has such a sweet tooth and I don't really, I like savory food. I'm like, give me another slab of steak. And he's like, I want a piece of cake. But he'll come up to me and he'll be like, babe, this is the best thing I've ever eaten. You have to try it. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm not hungry right now. And it hurts him. It seriously hurts his feelings if I say no. So I've, I've learned, he's not here. He's in Reno with Pastor Doug and Donna, so I can say this. I've learned a little trick. I can be like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to try that, but I'm really full right now. Will you save me a bite? And then he forgets to save me a bite. And then I kind of get off the hook. But, he, but that's just how he is. He's so, he's so good-hearted, and he just wants to share anything that he loves, whether it's a book, a movie, a documentary, that he's like, you, this is so boring, but you have to watch it. So I spent a lot of time doing that. But, but the thing is, why aren't we like that with Jesus? Like, why aren't we, as the body of Christ, like, oh my gosh, I tasted of the Lord and it is so good and you have to taste it. You have to see how good the Lord is. And I think, I think that the reason we don't live like that is either we've lost our appetite for the Lord 
or we've never truly developed a taste or an appetite for the Lord, right? Instead, we acquire a taste for other things that should be in the place of him. How many times have you heard people say, oh, it's an acquired taste, meaning the more you have it, the more you like it, and, and the more you want it. So First John, um, we see that he's writing a letter to people that have tasted too much of the world, and they've acquired a taste for some things that they were never meant to feast on. In fact, um, the Apostle Paul tells us what we are meant to feast on. In Colossians 3, 2, it says this, Feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm, and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities, not with the distractions of the natural realm. So I can only imagine what John is seeing um, happening in in his church. I can only imagine what is going on with them um, that he feels like he needs to write this letter to them. Let's read it again. I'm going to read 1 John 2 again from the Passion Translation and kind of let Scripture define Scripture a little bit for us. So it says this in the Passion Translation. Don't set your affections of your heart on this world or in loving the things of the world. The love of the Father and the love of the world are not are incompatible. For all of that the world can offer us, gratification of our flesh or lust of the flesh, so sexual, sexual immorality or gluttony, other overindulgences, um, allurement of the things of the world, or it was called lust of the eyes. So that's covetousness, envy, right, greed, um, envy for, for material riches or possessions of the world, and the obsession with status and importance. So that's pride of life boasting in our own ambition, right? Wanting achievement, thirst or hunger for the approval, the honor, the, the, the recognition of the world, the applause of the world. And he says this, none of these things come from the Father, but from the world. And, and the thing is about acquiring a taste for these three things is it can be pretty subtle, can be pretty subtle, right? Like you get a, a little bit of taste of it here and it felt good. And before you know it, you want a little bit more of it and a little bit more of it. And it's like carbs. It really is. It's like carbs. But but you you taste a little bit of it and you don't think that's da- that's not dangerous. It's a small thing. But the truth is it is dangerous. And the truth is that when we develop an appetite for the wrong things, it can cloud our judgment and it can distort it can distort our value system. And here's what I think we do believe, it, a lie that we subscribe to, that we believe about um, less of the flesh and less of the eyes. I think that we believe we can put whatever garbage we want into our minds and not end up with pollution here and here. I think that we, we believe we can watch whatever we want or we can scroll through whatever we want and simply just chew up the meat and spit out the bones. And, and I don't just mean like lust of flesh, that's real, but when we're scrolling through Instagram, how easy is it to, to start to compare? Like, why do they have that and I don't? Why, do they, why does their life look that way and mine doesn't? They don't deserve that. Why, why don't I have that? Why don't I deserve that? And here's the thing about the appetite for comparison. You'll find that when you feast on that appetite, it is an insatiable, bottomless pit that either leads to comparison and makes you be critical of other people, or it makes you have a misbelief in what your actual value is. That's all that comparison does. And, and here's the thing, when I was studying this and, and really looking at our appetites, this is what I found, that um, when one of our appetites gets stimulated, our brain actually changes. Like, our brain actually changes. Like, the neurons that fire in your brain go to that center. Like, if you're hungry, I'm talking about food a lot, so I hope everyone ate breakfast. But, but if you're hungry, your brain actually sends more um, brain activity, more blood to that area in your brain, and this is called impact biased. 
And what impact bias does is it, it magnifies that appetite out of proportion. So it'll actually exaggerate the satisfaction that you think you're going to receive when you have whatever it is that you want. Um, I think that restaurants do this, like when you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting for your food and you're waiting for your food and then they bring out like garbage with hot sauce on top and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so good. It's because your brain has tricked you. Your brain is saying that you are actually experiencing greater satisfaction than you can. And that's how dangerous this can be. That's the power of our appetites. I mean, it really does have the power to derail your focus. And it's, it's because... In the moment of desiring something, it actually distorts your view of the satisfaction, right? Our own brains do that to us. And here's the thing. This is not a new uh, strategy of the enemy today. It's not new. He's not original. He's cunning. But as I was studying this, I'm like, Satan, you are not very original. Like since, you know, obviously um, John was writing this letter, this wasn't even new to the people of Ephesus. Since the beginning of time, this is how he approached Adam and Eve. He said, Adam, look with your eye, or Eve, look, look with your eye how nice this fruit looks. Lust with your eye. Think of how good it would taste. Lust with your flesh. And then guess what? Once you eat of it, you're going to be like God. You're going to be just like God. You're not going to just be down here. You're going to be like God. That's pride of life, right? Since the beginning of time, this has been the strategy of the enemy. And then even Jesus went through this in the wilderness. Even Jesus himself. You can read his journey in the wilderness and what he was tempted with. And that's what Satan went after him with. And then look at the people of Israel. God literally delivers them out of slavery, out of Egypt, takes them out and says, I have a land full of milk and honey for you. That is my promise. But while we're getting there... You're going to eat some manna, miracle bread. Like, that's pretty cool. And they're like, oh, you know, like, yeah, we were in slavery, and that was a bummer. But at least there was fish. Like, they're willing to trade freedom and go back into slavery for fish. And I love seafood. I'm from Seattle. Halibut is like life. But I would not trade it for my freedom. I would not trade it for my freedom. And the thing is, I have seen too many times, too many people trade their freedom be willing to go back into slavery for the wrong appetite. And with everything going on around here this week, I felt an urgency to say this. I don't want one more moment for one more person to live in a life of slavery to anything. Because you are not a slave, you are a child of God. You are not a victim, you are an overcomer. I love that we sang that this morning. I love that we sang that. Right? Like we are overcomers in Christ Jesus. And we don't have to be a victim to appetites we can't control. And we don't have to be in bondage. We don't have to be in slavery. But what we have to do is run to Jesus so that he can be the one who protects our hearts from running back to slavery. That's our part. We have to run to him. We have to get in his presence. We have to abide in him so that we don't run back to slavery for a piece of fish. So I am going to give us um, three points this morning, things that happen in our lives when we choose to live the abiding life. And the first one is when you abide in Jesus, he will reveal your value. So he, here's the thing. I'm not talking about this to try to make you feel bad or try to guilt you into spending more time with Jesus. Um, it's, it's actually the opposite. The cross isn't just a revelation of your sin. It's a, it's a revealing of your value. And when you allow Jesus to become your everything, he will reveal your value to you of how he sees you. When you look him 
face to face, when you look him in the eye, you'll see that he gave up everything for you. When you start to understand the cost, right, what it cost him for us, when we start to understand the price that he paid for us on the cross, I think that as fear of God grows, fear of man has to shrink. When we start to say, wow, look what God says about me. Wow, look at what Jesus did for me. Wow, I'm a co-heir of Christ. I'm his beloved. The creator of the universe chose me. Wow. Then, then how many likes you have on Instagram? That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. So, so number one, when you abide in Jesus, he will reveal your value. Number two, when we abide in Jesus, he gives us the grace to overcome worldly appetites. So we're going to read Titus 2 here. It says, God's marvelous grace was manifest in person, bringing salvation for everyone. This same grace teaches us how to live each day as we equip, as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles. And it, grace, grace equips us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Let's go down to verse 14. It says this, he sacrificed himself for us that he might purchase our freedom from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people who are his very own, passionate to do what is beautiful in his eyes, in his eyes. We don't have to muster the strength to figure out how to control appetites that our flesh can't control. All we have to do is get in his grace. That's what it says. Get in his grace. It says it equips us to live self-controlled. His grace equips us. And when we spend time with Jesus, it says that we become passionate, passionate to do what is beautiful in his eyes, that we are hungry to do what is good in his eyes. And, and we shouldn't have this appetite that says, well, I have to do it because I call myself a Christian, right? The Bible doesn't say just do better. Like, just do better. Like I said, you know, in our, in our flesh, we're fallen. We can't just do better. What he does say, what John wrote when he wrote his gospel was, he is, he is the vine and we are the branches. We're the branches. And without being connected to him, we can't do anything. But when, but when we abide, when we abide in that vine, we'll bear fruit. Right? And fruit that the Bible calls this, love, joy, peace, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control right? When we hunger for the right things, when we, when we get in him, we can learn how to do that. We can learn that self-control because it's his grace. I, I struggled with whether or not I was going to say this this morning, but I do believe that there are people in this room, and I was one of these people for so long, that have made the decision to not get in God's presence, have actually made the decision that, yes, you've had that moment of salvation. Yes, you know that heaven is your home. Yes, you know what he did on the cross. But abiding in him, giving him access to everything, running to him every day, that, that's, that's not what you want to do. And, and the reason you don't want to is because you know if you do, he's going to put his finger on something. Because you know if you do that as you get closer to the light, it, it's like this. When I'm, when I'm putting Jensen to bed, I have a three-year-old son. When I'm putting him to bed sometimes, we, we lay in his room and, and we make finger puppets um, with the flashlight on my phone. And, you know, we're having fun. And he loves to go, oh, big hands. And the closer, the closer that he gets, his hand gets to the source of light, the bigger the shadow appears. And that's, that's what happens when we do get close to Jesus. He might be revealing some of those shadowy places in your heart. But if he reveals it, it's because he's going to heal it. 
If he reveals it, he's going to heal it. And he, he, he wants to, you to come into that. And here's the thing. He already knows. He already knows. He knew everything that you would hunger for before you ever took your first breath. He knew every desire that would be on your heart before you ever took your first breath. And the thing is, he loves you. He loves you and he wants to spend time with you and he wants to develop intimacy with you and he wants to be the one who helps set your hunger, who helps decide your appetite. And this is what the word of God says. It says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things, all things will be added to you. So number three, when we abide in Jesus, we can access our God-designed destiny. There are people that are desperate, desperate for you to be who God created you to be. God didn't just pay a price on the cross to get you into heaven. He paid that price to get heaven into you. And when you don't live that way, when you don't live abiding in him, you're missing out on so much of what Jesus did on the cross. And here's the why of all of, all of this. The world needs to see Jesus. The world needs to see Jesus. They don't need to see a bunch of people with the same mixed up, broken priorities that they have. They, they need to see what living for God allows you to be, the freedom that it allows you to live to let them walk in freedom. When we live by the world's standards, it robs us of who God meant for us to be, right? When we give our lives to Jesus, all we're doing, all we're doing is giving up something we are never, ever meant to be in the first place. And he didn't create us, and, and I love that Pastor Doug talked about this last week. He didn't create us just to be us. He created us so that he could be glorified through us, so that the world could look at us and see Jesus. But how can they see Jesus in us if we don't even spend time with our creator to know what we were created to look like, right? Like we, we got to spend time with him. Um, I thought this was a funny fact I found when I was studying that husbands and wives actually start to look like each other over time. It's proven. They start to look like each other over time, which I don't think I could ever look like my husband. He's beautiful blonde and blue eyes. But, but the, the, the studies are showing that over time, you smile at the same things over years and years. You frown at the same things. You have a hard season where maybe you're crying at the same things. So certain muscles in your face, they're getting exercised the same way. So you might have more tone in certain muscles. You might have more atrophy or breakdown in other muscles. And over time, your, your lines start to look the same in husbands and wives because that intimacy, because the time they spend together, they actually start to look the same. And what if we were a people that spent that much time with Jesus, that we looked that much like Jesus because we spent so much time with him, we laughed over what made him laugh, we smiled over what made him smile. What if we wept over what made him weep? What if we looked at the world, instead of wanting approval of the world or wealth of the world, what if we saw the brokenness that he sees? What if we let him pierce our hearts for the things that pierce his heart? What if, what if we spent that much time face to face with him so that when the world looked at us, they can see that his face had sh been shining on us and then they can see us shining to them? What if, what if? I wanna, I wanna do 
one more story from the Bible, and that's the story of, of Jacob and Esau. So they're brothers. Um, Esau's the older brother. Jacob's the younger brother. And I'm, I'm the youngest. I'm a younger sister. And so I can imagine how Jacob felt. Like, I wanted everything my sister had when I was a kid. I wanted to be just like her. I wanted to compete with her. That's impossible. She's good at everything she does. Uh, like, like long darts. She could beat me at lawn darts. Like, she's that talented and gifted. But, but as a little sister, I always wanted to compete with her. So I can imagine kind of setting up the story what Esau and Jacob were going through. But here's the story. Esau's out in a field and he's working and he, he spends a day probably, you know, up at dawn. He's, he's hot, he's hungry, he's tired. And he comes in and he says, he, he sees his brother cooking some stew and he says, Jacob, can I please have a bowl of stew? Simple request. Simple. Your brother, sure, you can have a bowl of stew. What does Jacob say to him? He says, sure, you can have a bowl of stew, but first sell me your birthright. Like, who would do that? And Esau's answer is, sure, what good is it to me? I'm hungry now. He has a momentary appetite that he can't harness. And so he says, yes, you can have my birthright. I just want a bowl of stew. And, and here's the part where I wish I could step in and be like, no, Esau, wait. Like, I guess I just appear from the future. But I wish I could say, like, no, Esau, wait. Like, this is history for me. I know what happens. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Before you do that, you're going to have 12 sons, your poor wife, but you're going to have 12 sons. And those 12 sons are going to have families, and they're going to become a mighty nation. And that's all through your lineage. And over time, that mighty nation will end up in slavery, and, and they'll be in Egypt for 400 years in slavery. And God's going to appear to this man, Moses, to deliver them. And, and Moses doesn't know God. So when Moses appears, Esau, this is what he has to say. He has to introduce himself. The God of the universe has to introduce himself, and he says this. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. And then listen, Esau, listen, Esau, 2,000 years from this moment, the world is gonna need a savior and God is gonna send his son to save the world. And you know what? One of the savior's followers, his name is Matthew, he's gonna write a book about, about Jesus, about the savior of the world. And he's gonna say this, he's gonna say, Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Esau. Esau. And through Esau was Jesus, the Savior of the world. That is your destiny, unless you sell your birthright for a bowl of soup. And here's what I think that Esau would do. I think he would say, wow, that's what God wants to do through me. Wow, that's what God wants to do through me. I'll go hungry. What's, what's another couple hours? I'll find something else to eat. And here's the thing. God has a destiny and a purpose on your life. And he wants to use you in a way that we can never imagine unless you sell it for a bowl of stew. Unless you sell it. And, and here's what the next verse says in Genesis. It says, Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and he drank and he rose and went his way. Thus he despised his birthright. So he ate and he drank, and the stew was gone. And his birthright was gone, all because of an appetite that he couldn't harness. All because of an appetite that he couldn't harness. And every single day, every day, we're going to be tempted. Every day, things are going to come our way that look like a bowl of stew. Things that maybe threaten our future, our destiny, the destiny of this house. Like John saw in, in, in his book, in First John, his letter to the church of Ephesus. Things that were threatening the destiny of that church. 
And the only way we can address it is to abide in Christ, to let Him define what we should have an appetite for, to let Him speak to us about what our destinies could be and, and to remember what our preferred future looks like. What does your preferred future look like? Because is it worth trading the ultimate for the immediate? I'm gonna have you stand to your feet. We're gonna start closing. Head, head, heads bowed, eyes closed. Um, I'm just gonna ask you this morning, I'm gonna get real for a moment. I'm gonna ask you, what's your bullet stew? What's your bullet stew right now? What are you trading your preferred future for? Um, that you know in your heart, if you were to say, God, is this right for me? He would say, it's gotta go. It's gotta go so that I can work through you, so that I can put you on the destiny that I've chosen for you. And it may not be something immoral. It may not be something even, you know, dangerous. But, but what's the thing that you have developed a taste for in the place of a taste for Jesus? What's the thing? What's the thing that he's saying, don't taste, don't, don't crave that. Crave me, crave me. Because here's what I believe with all of my heart. This church has a destiny. That this church has a purpose in Denver, Colorado. That this church has a purpose in the United States of America. That this church has a purpose in this world. And that there are people standing in this room. That when you develop an appetite for Jesus that God's gonna bring you into a destiny and he's gonna say, I am the God of the Pearl Church and that person. I am the God of the Pearl Church and look what they are doing. Look, look at how they're helping heal and touch the city because I live through them. So like I said, heads, heads bowed, eyes closed. This is a personal moment between you and Jesus. If there's something that you know God's tapping on right now and saying, I don't want you to have an appetite for that. I don't want you to have an appetite for that. Just lift your hand this morning. Just lift your hand to Jesus. If he's saying, stop seeking the approval of the world. Start listening to who I say you are. Just lift your hand this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's do this. I actually want everyone, go ahead and hold your hands open. Palms up. Let's just hold our hands open this morning. Father God, we just stand here saying the things that we have been feasting on that are not of you, we give you permission. We give you permission to take them away. We give you permission to come and, and pierce our hearts with truth, but in love and, and take them away. Because God, when we stand here, hands and arms wide open, we're just saying, we want more of you. We want more of what you have. We want, we want your grace. Fill us with your grace right now, Lord. A people with their hands wide open, ready to be filled with your grace. Like your word says, it's your grace that teaches us, that teaches us to live an upright life. It's your grace that teaches us to run to you. So Lord, fill us with your grace and God, direct us with your destiny. Direct us with your destiny. Because God, I do believe 
that this church has a destiny, that each person in this room has a destiny. If we only knew what hung in the balance, if Esau only knew what hung in the balance, if we only knew what you wanna do through us. So God, even right now, I pray that you start to give us visions, that you start to give us clarity of what it is you are calling us into. That as you're taking away appetites that are not from you, that you start to give us a hunger, a hunger to do your, your works, your good works, a passion like your word says, a passion to do your good works, Jesus, Jesus. There's one more group of people I wanna pray for. If you've never experienced what I'm talking about in a personal relationship with Jesus, I said, you know, we know what he did on the cross that he climbed on a cross so that you would have salvation, that you would experience a personal relationship with him, have eternity in heaven and have heaven come into you. If you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, or maybe you've been away from him, running from him, not giving him that place as your Lord and Savior, I wanna pray for you this morning. So go ahead and slip up your hand so I know who I'm praying for. Thank you, thank you. All right, church, pray this with me. Lord Jesus, Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. Thank you for giving me a destiny. So Lord, in this moment, I put aside things of the world, appetites of the world, and I hunger only for you. Thank you for coming into my life, washing me clean of all of my sins.